Good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful to be able to freely gather this day to worship you, uh, to praise you, and, and this morning to consider your goodness. We ask that you would help us to uh, focus on your word and on you and let the distractions and cares of this life fade away. Uh, apart from you, we can do nothing good, and we do look to you this day. We thank you and praise you, and we especially thank you for our, your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in, in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's, let's start by going to Nahum chapter 1. I guess I can say I cheated. I already opened up, so I don't have to try and find it. You're struggling? Every Bible has a table of contents. I'm sure the kids are doing fine with the Bible drill. <clears throat> and Nahum chapter 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So you may think that's an odd place to start when we're considering the goodness of God. But uh, well, what I'll have you note there is with all the wrath and the judgment, the, the prophet lets us know that amidst that, God is good to his people. So last week we considered God's justice and righteousness uh, earlier in the year, God's glory and holiness, and this morning, God's goodness. A couple of excerpts from the, the Second London Confession and the Baptist Catechism. Uh, the Lord our God is but one only living and true God, abundant in goodness. God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself. And then again, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So good is uh, such a catch-all catch word. Uh, sometimes I believe that uh, we may be missing the magnificent, the majesty, awesomeness of what the word is conveying in our scriptures. This may be the case because uh, good is a response to many questions we answer every day. 
how are things going? Good. Uh, how was work? Good. Uh, what did you learn in school today? Good. For those <laughs> kids that aren't paying attention. Um, uh, generally speaking, in these responses, we could exchange good for all right, okay, not bad, uh, but that would be missing the point. It's definitely not what we are getting at when we say with the psalmist that the Lord is good. Uh, this is not a throwaway word. It is how God described his perfect creation in Genesis 1. It was very good. So let's uh, this morning try and capture some of that greatness and wonder that the little word good is conveying in Scripture. We'll see a variety of ways in which Scripture teaches us concerning God's goodness. So, uh, to the Scriptures. Exodus 34 and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. So this verse here is the scripture proof for the confession. And uh, clearly we can see that, that the framers of the confession, the Westminster, and then uh, the London Baptists who um, utilized the Westminster, uh, just grab straight from scripture here. Abundant in goodness and truth. And then Psalm 119.68, this is the scripture proof uh, for the second chapter of the second paragraph of the confession. Uh, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So, so far, clear we can see God is abundant in goodness. God is good. God does good. And then the last one here, Psalm 136.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, you probably all heard, the, uh, whole, all heard the phrase, what's the therefore, therefore, or what, what's the for, therefore? Why well, give thanks to the Lord? For he is good, because he is good. God's goodness ought to be a cause for our giving thanks to God and our praising God. So next, uh, as we continue considering scripture, we're going to look at it in a series of questions, Benjamin Bedham's scriptural exposition. Uh, it's a series of questions, each answered in the affirmative uh, by way of scripture. So the first, is God good? Yes, thou, Lord, art good. May his goodness excite our wonder. Yes, how great is his goodness. And should it excite our gratitude? Yes, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Is God universally good? Yes, he is good to all. Is he good to sinners? Yes, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Is he in a special manner good to his own people? Yes, that I may see the good of thy chosen. And does God take the contempt of his goodness heinously? Yes. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? And now on to some definitions. So, it's all good. That's how, you know, loosely we can use this phrase, good. Again, good is such an all-encompassing of a catch-all that even Webster's has about 50 entries for defining the word good. Most often it seems to me we use good in a grading sense, and what I mean is when we say, was that restaurant good, it was good, not great, or good, not better or best. For our purposes as Christians, God is the standard of all good, 
and all he is and does is worthy of our approval. A brief little word origin here. thought it was kind of neat. God is good. There is a beauty in the name appropriated by the Saxon nations to the deity, unequaled except by his most reverential Hebrew appellation. They called him God, which is literally the good, the same word thus signifying the deity and his most enduring quality. That's found in uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon quoting a fellow named Turner. Uh, Pink says the, the same thing a little more plainly. The original Saxon meaning of our English word God is the good. And so next, uh, I know that you probably remember that I've quoted from Terry Johnson. I see him as the great compiler of quotations, and he's put together five theologians' thoughts on the goodness of God. God's goodness is that which sets him apart from all malice, cruelty, and harshness, and characterizes him as kind, generous, trustworthy, and gracious. Additional classic definitions may help us. Edward Lee defines God's goodness as an essential property whereby he is infinitely and of himself good and the author and cause of all goodness in the creation. God, according to Thomas Manton, is good of himself, good in himself, yes, good itself. Goodness is the chiefest name by which we may conceive of God. Goodness is the very opposite of harshness, cruelty, gruffness, severity, and mercilessness, explains Abrakel. By God's goodness, we mean the loveliness, benign character, sweetness, friendliness, kindness, and generosity of God. J.I. Packer defines God's goodness as his cosmic generosity. And Louis Burkhoff completes our survey of definitions of the goodness of God by describing it as that perfection of God which prompts him to deal bountifully and kindly with all his creatures. God, he agrees, is the sun and bonum, or the highest good for all his creatures. Hence, we are here to seek him above all else as our greatest good. Our good is to be near God. We are to say with David, I have no good apart from you. So when we think of good in relation to the goodness of God, we need to keep these wonderful perfections in mind. Mercy, grace, patience, love, faithfulness, and forgiveness. All of these as under the umbrella of goodness. Robert Shaw here in this next quotation helps uh, draw out this idea by helping us to see goodness from different angles. The goodness of God is distinguished by different names according to the different aspects in which it is viewed or the different objects about which it is exercised. When it relieves the miserable, it is called mercy. When it confers favors on the undeserving or on those who deserve nothing but what is evil, it is called grace. When it supplies the wants of indigent beings, it is called bounty. When it forbears to execute punishment on provoking rebels, it is called patience or long-suffering. The goodness of God is, therefore, a very comprehensive term. It includes all the forms of his kindness towards men, whether considered as creatures, as sinners, or as saints. But we may describe it generally as that property of the divine being which disposes him to communicate happiness to his creatures, 
as far as is consistent with his other perfections. And then along these lines, uh, Herman Bavinck, the goodness of God appears as love when it not only conveys certain benefits, but God himself. And so now some further consideration, considerations on God's goodness. We're going to look at goodness under seven headings, uh, basically seven scriptures that will be our starting point to help us round out our understanding of God's great goodness and his great goodness toward us. So the first one, and this probably comes to mind, God alone is good. And in Mark 10 we read, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. As we read in uh, Psalm 119.68 earlier, God is good and does good. When we consider man, it is quite the opposite. Con- contrast God is good and does good with what we read in Romans 3. Uh, none is righteous, no, not one. No one does good, not even one. Hervin Bavink here is helpful. According to scripture, God is the sum total of all perfections. All virtues are present in him in an absolute sense. No one is good but God alone. He is perfect. But whatever virtue scripture ascribes to God, it always presupposes that that virtue is in him in an absolute sense. Knowledge, wisdom, power, love, and righteousness are all uniquely his. That is, in a divine manner. His goodness, accordingly, is one with his absolute perfection. In him, idea and reality are one. He is pure form, pure act. He does not have to become anything, but is what he is eternally. He has no goal outside himself, but is self-sufficient, all-sufficient. Picking up on that idea that God doesn't have goals, he's all-sufficient, self-sufficient. God is as good as he can be. He cannot get more good or better. He does not have goals for improvement. He's not going to sign up for a self-improvement course. The the key takeaway here from Bavink and then the Lee quote to follow is that God is infinitely and unchangeably good. It is who he is. God is good. God is not sometimes good. He is truly and eternally good. Uh, Edward Lee, this goodness of his cannot be increased. It being his essence, it cannot be made better. For God has in him not only all the actual, but all the possible goodness that is in the creatures. Any creature still may be better. The riches, honors, comforts may be better. But God cannot be a better God. Therefore, we should infinitely affect him more than all creatures. Our next consideration is all that God has made is good. Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. What God made was perfect. It was very good. It could not have been improved upon. Uh, Mary Poppins is practically perfect in every way. God's creation was perfect in every way. When we think of God and his creating activity, we should think perfectly good, 
not as a rough draft, not going to do some polish up or finish up work later. It was perfectly good and very good. And Henry, when we come to review our works, we find to our shame that much has been very bad. But when God reviewed his, all was very good. So next we have God's goodness is seen in his providence, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so this one is a bit of a catch-all. What God does is good. God's providence is good, always good. And I find the Heidelberg Catechisms helpful here. Uh, Number 27, the almighty everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And we should see in that the answer to that question concerning what is God's providence, the good and the bad, the rich, the poor, the sickness, the health. And we should find comfort in knowing that all things here does indeed mean all things, the triumphs, failures, injustices, and even chastenings is in the end working for our good. And rounding out this section is John Murray commenting on this passage in the sovereign love and wisdom of God they that is the all things are made are all made to converge upon and contribute to that goal for good many of the things comprised are evil in themselves and it is the marvel of God's wisdom and grace that they when taken in concert with the whole are made to work for good not one detail works ultimately for evil to the people of God. In the end, only good will be their lot. And the next consideration is God is good to his people. And clearly you'll see that there's a bit of overlap and in, in such as the nature with the phrase, the word good. Um, God is good to his people. God's gifts are good. His providence is good. A bit of overlap, but let's proceed. Psalm 73, 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Again, from Spurgeon, the treasury of David on this verse, God is good to Israel. He is only good, nothing else but good to his own covenanted ones. He cannot act unjustly or unkindly to them. His goodness to them is beyond dispute and without mixture, even to such as are of a clean heart. These are the true Israel, not the ceremonial clean, but the really so. Those who are clean in the inward parts, pure in the vital mainspring of action. God's gifts are good, James. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There are gifts of God. Uh, But the gift of gifts is clearly Jesus Christ in Romans 5. But God shows his love for us in in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, again, in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then an, an oddly framed quote, this is what Stephen Lawson said, it has been said, I couldn't find who said it, but it has been said, God bankrupted heaven to give heaven, to give us the, God bankrupted heaven to give us the riches of Christ. And then uh, next, God is good in the midst of our trials. Uh, behind a frowning providence, he hides, hides a smiling face. Nahum, as we read earlier, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And Calvin, by saying God is good, he turns aside whatever might be objected on the ground of extreme severity. There is indeed nothing more peculiar to God than goodness. Now when he is so severe that the very mention of his name terrifies the whole world, he seems to be in a manner different from himself. Hence the prophet now shows that whatever he had hitherto said of the dreadful judgment of God is not inconsistent with his goodness. Though God then is armed with vengeance against, against his enemies, he yet ceases not to be like himself nor does he forget his goodness. And the last consideration, God's goodness is seen in mercy, grace, patience, love, faithfulness, forgiveness. In the Exodus account, Moses asks, please show me your glory. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And then further on, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means, no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So in this Exodus account here, we see God's goodness displayed in his sovereignty. He shows mercy, grace. Later we see God's goodness displayed in patience, love, faithfulness, and forgiveness. Here is God telling us who he is. He's explaining what his goodness is and what his goodness consists in. As his goodness passes before Moses, God proclaims, he will be gracious, he will be merciful. We'll round out this section with a quote from Thomas Boston. It is the property, property of goodness to hate and punish sin. Hence the Lord said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. The afflictions of the godly are the effect of the divine goodness and, the, and affect goodness in them. Hence says the apostle, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And says the psalmist, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. 
And so now turning our thinking a little bit, uh, this next section, relatively brief, how can a good God fill in the blank? So we've all heard this question or maybe even asked this question ourselves at some time in our lives. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here as it was covered in some measure in last week's lesson on God's justice and righteousness. There are certainly some well-thought-out answers to these how can a good God questions. Um, there are many helpful books in the library, a big one called What, what About Evil? Um, so if you have questions, there are answers. Uh, let us keep in mind a couple of things when thinking on this topic. One, do we really deserve any good from God? And I'll let Jeremiah Burroughs answer that. He says in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, I am nothing and I deserve nothing. Suppose I lack this and that thing which others have. I'm sure that I deserve nothing except it be hell. And the second consideration, and this is uh, a hymn from William Cooper, uh, we are not God. We do not know the end from the beginning, and we have feeble sense. So when we're considering questioning God's goodness, a couple of lines will pull out of here. Uh, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And then the last one, in the end, it will be plain to us in heaven when God wipes away every tear. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. And then for some verses to consider, we have uh, some from Job, Genesis, and Romans here. God gives and takes. Uh, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Receive good, receive evil. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Meant for evil, meant for good. God, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Uh, cover your mouth, went over this one last week, at the end of the day, like, are we really going to talk back to God and question his goodness? I don't think so. And then in the end, we ought to glorify the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And, well, I think most of what we've gone through so far is practical. This last section I've called the practical part. And I'm taking that from um, uh, Petrus van Maastricht's systematic theology called uh, theoretical and practical theology. Each uh, theological subjects, he breaks into four parts, exegetical, theological, and practical. So, the practical part. Knowledge of God's goodness has also a practical relation to piety, for it manifests to us that God is the proper object of love, and ought to be the principal object of all the powers of our souls. Furthermore, we learn from God's goodness to imitate God in cleaving to the good and doing the good and in recognizing the goodness of God as our strong support 
in calamities, poverty, and the fear of death itself. God's goodness also clearly reveals to us the evil of all sinful acts. And then here, just briefly, the headers to the practical part uh, in Maastricht's works. Uh, If you're interested in what he says on each of these topics, uh, it's quite good, and you can check out the volume from the library. But he says, The goodness of God stirs us up to love God, seek every good in God, seek the remedy of every evil in the goodness of God, acknowledge the wickedness of sin, imitation, seek blessedness in God, and to glorify God. And all of that to say, God is good, praise the Lord. The last page is extra credit. Extra credit if you can read it, nine-point nine font. Um, it was just to fill out the page. And <laughs> it's good information. You can look at it at your leisure. Um, I, I broke out um, a simple search. God is good. He is good. The Lord is good. His goodness. And a, a helpful quote from Sharnock. Uh, let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you truly are good to us. We're thankful for our salvation. We're thankful for our wonderful Savior. And again, uh, we're thankful for your goodness to us. Uh, We ask that you would bless uh, our worship this coming hour, uh, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.